Good evening. I'm so glad that you're with us tonight, and I'm so glad that you're here this evening as well. I, um, Becky and I made a trip not too long ago to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and um, never had to stop and pay a toll. And I got an envelope this week from the state of Pennsylvania <laughs> that said, pay immediately. And there are cameras all along the way, I found out, in Pennsylvania that take the picture of your tag and then they send you the bill. Got me to thinking, how many times a day do you think your picture is made? You know, when you stop and think about the cameras that are everywhere at traffic lights, at the ATM machines, the security cameras that are up in, in the stores that you shop at, the grocery stores, I wonder how many times a day our photograph is actually taken, how many videos are actually made of us. I, um, when Becky and I were working in Europe, it was amazing. Cameras were everywhere. People were always getting their pictures made for security. And since 9-11, the desire for security has gone up so much more. Tonight, we want to look at a psalm that I think will make us understand that we are being watched all day. But this should bring us comfort, and it shouldn't bring us conflict in our heart. It should bring us encouragement and not fear that we're being watched all day long. Years ago, there was a young man that came to me, and um, he was already established in a career, and he felt like God was calling him into the ministry. And so we sat down, we began to talk. He was about 30 years old. And so I told him, I said, you need to do two things. I said, first of all, you need to really pray with your wife. You've got two small babies. You need to really pray with your wife and think about what you're, what you're asking me about. The second thing is, you need to think with both your head and with your heart. You need to process with your head and your heart because God's hand will be upon your life either way, whether you go into a pastoral ministry like I'm serving in or whether you continue in the career field that you're serving in. Tonight's psalm that we're looking at, Psalms 139, it has some big concepts. It has some huge concepts. It has some concepts that some people, when they read this, it actually frightens them. And other people like myself, when I read it, it brings encouragement, it brings hope, and it brings comfort to me. Concepts that we call omniscience, that God knows everything. Concepts that we call omnipresent, that God is everywhere. God fills this room tonight, but God fills every space in our universe. That's how big God is. But God is also omnipotent, that He is all-powerful. And when you think about these concepts that David brings out, deep theological concepts, they give us a confidence for living. So I want to read the whole psalm tonight. I want us to look carefully at it. And I want to read it, you know, a lot of times I'll make a comment on a verse or so, but this one is so powerful, but there's a very conflicted prayer at the end of Psalms 139 that really throws people. As a matter of fact, some pastors will not even preach on this selection of text, and I'll deal with that in the psalm tonight, but I, I think it needs to be looked at and it needs to be addressed. I've been asked about this particular prayer a number of times in this psalm that I'm saying gives us confidence, gives us encouragement, and gives us hope. So let's read Psalms 139 together. And if you're following along at home, I'm using the New Living Translation, but you can get all of our notes on the app and just download it. As a matter of fact, there are folks here tonight that are using the app to take notes with. 
O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me, and you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watch me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They, they outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme, ye, blaspheme you. you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Did you get that conflicted prayer at the end? Boy, does that sound like Jesus? Wow, why is that there? We're going to take a careful look at that as we get close to the end of the message tonight. But right now, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you, and I thank you that multitudes, Lord, generations like myself have found comfort, have found courage and encouragement Lord, have found hope in reading Psalms 139. And I'm asking you now in the name of Jesus Christ that, Lord, you would speak to us, to our head and to our hearts, Lord. God, that these concepts, though we're not going to use those titles like omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence in this message very often, but may they get deep into our hearts so that we can understand just how great you are and how awesome you are. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. I was telling my wife today, the last time I preached upon this chapter was at Southeastern University in a chapel service that I'd been invited to preach. And I preached this passage, and then later that day, I visited with different classes and taught in some of the classes there. This conflicted prayer through some of the students, how could you have such a powerful passage and then have a prayer like this at the end? Sometimes I think we have to kind of take a step back when we read the Psalms 
We have to put ourselves in the shoes of the person reading them and in the culture and in the time that we're reading them and not automatically write it off like some of my peers have done who've told me, well, I, I don't even deal with that passage because that's so different than how Jesus taught us to pray. Well, if God left it for us in His Word, there's a reason that it's there in His Word. I mentioned Southeastern. When I was a student at Southeastern, there was a doctor there that, was, that had been called to the ministry, and he was going to school. And I remember one time he and I were sitting around, and I asked him, I said, why does God give us organs that we don't need? And he says, well, what are you talking about? I says, well, people get their tonsils taken out all the time. I still have mine, by the way. And he goes, if God put them in you, you need them. Okay, that was just the bottom line for him. If God put them in you, you need them. If God put this passage of Scripture in here tonight, we need it, and we want to look at that this evening. But the first thing I think we have to begin with is God knows everything about me. God knows my every thought. God knows my every step. God knows my every motive. God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on in your mind right now. Are you listening to me or are you back home wondering what's coming on on television? God knows what's going on. God knows my motive for even preaching this message tonight. You see, there's nothing that we can hide from God. Let's look at the first six verses together. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. How does that make you feel that God's examining you tonight? I mean, if I go to the doctor, I'm hoping to get a good report from the doctor, okay? But God is examining your heart and examining my heart. Look at this. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. Boy, I like that, that God is with me when I'm traveling and he sees me. You go before me and follow me. There's an Irish prayer that's built off of this, of how that God is before us, behind us, beneath us, and above us. Oh, and don't you like this? You place your hand of blessing on my head. Oh, man, I love that. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and it's too great for me to understand. In other words, when I'm faced with such knowledge, I'm humbled. I don't really know anything. Occasionally, somebody will say to me, say, boy, Pastor, I just, I've learned so much, or they'll give me some other compliment, and I never say this because I don't want to feign false humility, or, you know, I, you know, I want to give glory to God, but I really know nothing. When you read this psalm tonight, I, I understand just how little I know, and how that even the most uneducated person that has died in Christ, when they open their eyes with Jesus, they know far more than the most educated among us. Can you say amen to that? I mean, this is what we're hearing here. God knows every detail about me, but he still loves me. Now, think about that for a moment. Paul, God knows every detail about you, but he still loves you. I remember what amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's why we call grace amazing grace, that God knows every detail about us. He knows every thought. He knows what we're processing. He knows our likes, our dislikes. He knows our anger. He knows our hatred. He knows our love. He knows our lust. He knows everything about us, and God still loves us. My wife tells me I'm a pretty easy read. A lot of my friends tell me, you're, we know what you're thinking just by the look in your eye, the look on your face. Anybody else like that in here? You're a pretty easy read. Some of my friends tell me, says, it's a good thing you're not a gambler because you'd lose every time. You know, I'm fairly easy to read, and that's okay. I'm good with that. But here's the thing. Whether or not I was an easy read or not, God still knows every detail about my life. He knows every time I move. 
He knows why I'm moving. He knows when I'm moving. He knows every stage of my life. There is a line, and I don't know if you've ever read them, but I would encourage you, read the, the Return of the... Don't just watch the movies. I have one of my sons that won't read because he said if it's a good book, they'll make a movie out of it. But, you know, there's nothing like reading. But there is a line at the end of The Return of the King. Listen to this. And the king is... Now, let me set it up for you. The king is dying. He holds his wife's hand. He's looked. He's surrounded by people that he loves. He kisses them. He says goodbye. And then he lays down and he dies. Then a great beauty, this was in death, then a great beauty was revealed in him so that all who came there looked on him with wonder. For they saw the grace of his youth, the valor of his manhood, and the wisdom and majesty of his age were blended together. Now, folks, that's a powerful statement that Tolkien wrote. The grace of his youth, the valor of his manhood, and the majesty of his age were blended together. That's how God sees you. God sees the gracefulness of his youth. Perhaps you were a dancer or a ballerina or, or you were a gymnast and you were just so graceful in how you moved. And, or maybe as a, as a young man you served in the military, you were an athlete and, or, or a police officer or a firefighter or a soldier and you, the valor, the courage that you showed. And now that you've gotten older, you've not become bitter, you've become better and God sees your maturity in those aged years and in you. And God sees every stage together. There is no past, present, and future with God. Everything is in front of God at the same time. And again, that's one of those concepts that is just so hard for us to gather together. But that's how God sees you tonight. David Duplessy used to say, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. David Duplessy went on to say with that that God sees you in every... When you were born, God saw you as a gray-headed man. God, when you were born, God saw you as a gray-headed woman. When you were born, God saw you in your strength and your youth. I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to me. That means I don't have to worry about trying to secure my life. God is in control. That's what we mean about the omnipotence of God. God knows my every motive. God is always with me. But what this says to me is if God knows everything, listen, if God knows everything about me, if God knows what I'm saying, if God knows what I'm thinking, then prayer becomes that much more important to me. Because here's the deal. God already knows what I'm going to pray about. God already knows. There, there's a psalm that um, for king and country they have out, God, know, God already knows, God already knows. And I find myself singing that sometime. Not as good as they do, but I could go along, you know. You know that, but the point is, is that God knows. And because he knows, a lot of times when I start to pray, I'll say, Father, I know you know what I'm going to say. I know what you know that, that you know what I'm going to ask. I know what you know that I'm going to intercede about. But this tells me that you want to listen to me because you call me to prayer. It tells me that you want our relationship to grow. If God knows... There's no need for God and I to talk. But if God knows and says, come to me with your burdens, come to me, ask what you will, then God is inviting you and I into a deeper relationship. God's omniscience is this. God wants you to know him. Isn't that good news? God wants you to know him. Secondly, God is everywhere. I mean, we know that, but boy, did Jonah learn this lesson that God is everywhere? 
He thought he could flee from God. He thought he could run from God. I mean, God told him to go to Nineveh. Instead, he got on a ship, and he's headed to Spain. He's headed across. He's going as far as he knew he could go. He's headed across the Mediterranean. He's going to Spain. And maybe, maybe Jonah could have wrote these words. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the Father's oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I can hear almost the bitterness there. But let me read it to you a little differently because this is how I perceive David reading this. He's going, God, I can never get away from you. I can never escape your presence. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, Father, you're there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the Father's oceans... Even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You see, what I read in this is not what some people have told me, that this intimidates them, that this threatens them. I want God to know where I'm at. I want God to know what's going on in my life. People who do evil love the dark, right? People who do evil, they try to hide their deeds. They try to get shell companies. They try to get uh, crooked accountants, or they look for the night to, to do what they want to do. But people who want to live in the light in the presence of God, this is comforting to us. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, this should threaten you because all of us one day are going to stand before the Lord. But God doesn't want you threatened. God wants you changed. That's the reason he sent Jesus Christ to save you. Now, this is important for understanding the prayer at the end of this chapter. This is hugely important for understanding this prayer. Because you're going to, you and I both are going to stand before God. You're either going to stand before God covered by the blood of Jesus, or you're going to stand before God saying you did it your own way. You, you, you did it by your own works of righteousness or you know, you'll probably have the good sense at that time not to even plead your own works of righteousness. Although Jesus does indicate there are some people that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? And you'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Look at this quote here by Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was the chaplain of the Senate, but he was also, have you heard of a woman by the name of Catherine Marshall? He was also the husband of Catherine Marshall. She wrote a lot of great books Peter Marshall said this. Now, this is what he's saying to senators. If God does not enter your kitchen, there's something wrong with your kitchen. If you can't take God into your recreation, there's something wrong with your play. We all believe in the God of the heroic. What we need most these days is the God of the humdrum, the commonplace, the everyday. You see, God is not just there for the heroes of our age, and God is not just there for the Billy Grahams of our age. God is there for people like you and me. A few moments ago, we have someone here tonight that has a birthday, and I won't call their name out, but 62 years old, and um, he said it's not a very big day. In the eyes of God, it was a big day. God planned his life. God formed his life, and at the right time, God brought him into this life. And I really wish there were cupcakes here for tonight, you know, because then it would be an even more special day. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but here's the point that I want to make to you this evening. Is that God is involved in every detail of your life because he loves you. Now, remember what I said about how many times a day is your pictures taken? You know, when Andrew was born, our first son, we had this camcorder. I had to sit on my shoulder. We got all kinds of video of him. When Christopher was born, we got all kinds of video of Andrew and Christopher, a few less of Christopher than we did of Andrew. You know, when Benjamin was born, there's just very few videos of Benjamin, you know. And then Amy came along. It's because you get tired of carrying that thing everywhere, you know. But now with the iPhone, oh, that I had an iPhone back in those days or one of those other ungodly phones. If I had an iPhone back in those days, um, I, I get pictures of all of my grandkids. I get pictures of your grandkids. I get pictures of children from the people say, Pastor, I, I thought you'd want to see this picture of our little boy or our little girl. I love getting those videos and those pictures because every little moment of the life when the baby is blowing out the candles and spitting all over the cake, you know, they say, could you see the spray coming out? I go, yeah, I saw it. And then I, did you eat that slice of cake? Yeah, we ate that slice of cake. You're a better dad than I ever was. Here's the point. We're, today we're surrounded. But here's the thing. God is with you again wherever you go. But he says this, I will guide you. Now, I didn't take as many pictures, but I'll tell you what I always did. I was always there. I was always there. Even when I was traveling, calling home. Back in those days, long distance wasn't cheap. And then when you got your first cell phone, it was 25 cents a minute. And, you know, I was staying in touch with them because I wanted to know. God's hand guides us. But one of the things I wanted was to strengthen them. And I can remember I hired a guy to teach our boys how to swim. And he was a lifeguard, and I said, I want you to teach them. I don't want them to have fear of the water. I want them to be able to jump off the high dive. I want them to just get in there. And so he taught them. And, I mean, I can swim, but I really wanted somebody who knew what they were doing. And he taught them, and they laughed. They had so much fun. They were daring to the point that I had to get confident in their skill sets at swimming because once Josh got finished with them, they had no fear in their heart in life. He just, they just, boom, they ran. I said, no, no, wait, no, Dad, we got this. Boom. I wanted to guide them. Do you know what I've noticed in life? There's sometimes God lets me run and jump in the water. But if I can't make it, he's always been there to rescue me. The Bible has been a great book to teach me. The Holy Spirit has been faithful to guide me. God has been faithful to strengthen me. I've been surrounded by people who've spoken to my life. But here's the deal. When God is with you, listen, this is important. Don't worry about failing. And this is coming from somebody that doesn't like to fail, has a fear of failure. This is coming from someone that had to learn how to overcome that fear of failure. Because if I've learned anything, and it's what I told the young man that came to me wanting to know if God was calling me into the ministry, how he could know, I said, listen, the Bible says that God will work in your life for the good in everything. Even if you make a mistake and stay at your job, if that's the mistake, or go into the ministry, if that's a mistake, even if you make a mistake, God will be with you and you'll be an overcomer. Long story short is he did very well. He did very well as he followed God, and we happened 
to be there and to be a part of that. One more point before I go to the third point tonight. God will make the darkness light for me. That's not just nighttime. Have you ever been through those dark valleys of the soul, those dark nights? You ever got a cancer diagnosis? You ever got a heart disease diagnosis? You ever got a divorce notification? You ever got that call late at night that someone you love passed away unexpectedly? You ever lost a baby? When I was preparing this message, I recalled sitting down at the hospital one day and a couple called me and their baby had died and I went down and they asked me to hold the baby and so I took the baby in my hands and I held it and in my heart I was praying, Lord, quicken this baby, give this baby back life. But as I held that little baby here and just cuddled it and began to pray over it, I thank God for its life and I thank God for the couple that was there. And I didn't ask God to replace the child because you can never replace a child. I didn't try to comfort them that you can have more children. But one thing that was very real for me was that God had to be their light and their hope during this time. So I did the only thing that came to my heart and mind right now at that very moment, although I did preach a funeral later. I said, Lord, I take this baby and I lift its body up to you knowing that its soul is already with you and that it lives in eternal light of your presence. And I give it back to its mother and father and I ask you to let light shine in that dark place of their heart right now. I can't tell you how many times through the years that couple has called me to say those words brought such comfort into our lives at that moment that our baby was dwelling in the eternal light of God and that God brought light into our hearts. You never lose when you're serving God. You never lose. You don't even lose your loved ones. If they are in Christ, they go into the presence of the Lord. Which brings me to a huge point for our culture tonight, and that's the third point. And you've got quite a bit of fill-ins here because God designed you for a four-dimensional life. God dreamed, God designed, God developed, and God has a destiny for your life. God dreamed, God designed, God developed, and God has a destiny for your life. Isn't that cool? Before you were a twinkle in your mom and daddy's eye, God dreamed you. Ephesians chapter 1 says that before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for your life. Let's look at verse 13 through 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Friends, listen to this tonight. David is not writing about abortion. I mean, that wasn't even a thought in his day. But it applies to the challenge of our day of abortion. And you may wonder why has abortion become so common and why are people fighting so hard? When we lose sight of God, we lose sight of who we are. 
When we lose sight that we are made in God's image, we lose sight of the sanctity of life. When we lose sight of the fact that God is there in the womb, that God planned and God ordained, the further that our culture gets away from God, the less value that anybody's life has other than my life. For a couple, on the day of delivery, if the baby is still inside the mother's body, even as it's being born, the couple can abort that child. But if a few, if that couple was to have that baby, let's say in a bedroom at home, and then kill that baby and put it in a dumpster, we've all read those horrible stories in the newspaper. We've all seen them on, on television news. Then that couple, rightfully so, is tried for murder. If only a few hours earlier they had gone to an abortionist. You see, what happens is there is this mass confusion And the reason David's not writing about abortion here is David is recognizing what for 2,000 years was recognized, the common language, that if a lady was pregnant, she was carrying a baby. Just a generation ago, when when I was a child, it was when I was a teenager, you would say a lady and she'd say, I'm with child, I'm carrying a child. And That's just how you recognize somebody was carrying a child. And then somewhere in my college days, we we wanted to change the language. And so it became a fetus and it became cells and we depersonalized it. But no matter how we try to depersonalize life, the Bible says this, that God made all the delicate inner parts of our body. Look how beautiful this is. God watched as I was being formed in utter seclusion. Do you know the womb in the Bible is a type of the ark? The womb in the Bible is a type of the ark. In other words, the ark that carried Noah and his family and the animals, the ark that carried the presence of God. Mary's womb was considered a type of an ark that carried the presence of our Lord and Savior. God in the flesh brought forth. So God is there, he's watching, and look at this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. You know what that says? When you've got your eyes on God, you've got a real confidence in life. Now, now let's just stop for a moment. You might think, well, David's a king. (laughs) Oh, you might be thinking like Simba. I just can't wait to be king. (laughs) But David wasn't born a prince. David was the runt of the family. David kept the sheep. He stunk. He was a shepherd. His brothers didn't like him very much. They didn't want him around. His own mother and father put him way out in the field. But here, this poor kid, the bottom of the litter, was out there in the field, and he discovered who God was. The more you know who God is, the more you realize how much you matter, not only to God, but to every one of us. Man, there's so much I'd like to say there, but I need to move on. Look at this poll from YouGov. I put this in your outline, and I think it's on the screen as well. A recent poll from YouGov, a polling firm and market research company, found that 30% of millennials say they feel lonely. This is the highest percentage of all generations surveyed. If this generation is truly lonelier, that's concerning for a number of reasons. Research shows that loneliness tends to increase as we get older. 
What will happen to millennials who are already reporting high levels of loneliness when they reach old age? We need stress. We need some amount of loneliness for the pain of loneliness is a reminder that we are social creatures who need other people. As long as we then do what we should do, and that's reconnect with people, then loneliness is a good thing. Look at what David's praying here. David came into a dysfunctional family, but God still gave him community. There's no such thing as the perfect family. There's no such thing as the perfect marriage. There's no such thing as the perfect church. There's no such thing as the perfect small group. That doesn't exist because as we looked at Sunday morning, when we face the truth about ourselves, we're all flawed. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Second thing is God's presence brings joy into my life, no matter what community I'm part of. But if we together as a community welcome the presence of God, then we as flawed people can be patient and tolerant with one another's flaws without being judgmental of one another. John Calvin wrote this in the Institutes of Christian Religion. And a lot of people talk about Calvin. Some people criticize. You know, I decided a long time ago I would read the Institutes. And, you know, Calvin makes a lot of sense. It's sometimes the people who are called Calvinists that don't make sense. But if you read what he said for himself, it made a lot of sense. This is in the opening. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Now, Calvin didn't say what I'm going to say next. If true wisdom consists, look at me, don't miss this. If true wisdom consists of the knowledge of God in ourselves, then we will not understand ourselves the more we separate ourselves from God. But if we won't understand who we are, who we are as a community, who we are as a family, the better we get to know God, the better we get to know ourselves. And then finally, a conflicted and a convicted prayer. A conflicted and a convicted prayer. And these are difficult words to read, but just follow along with me. Oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Do you see what happened there? David explodes in anger. He wants nothing to do with evil. He wants nothing to do with evil people. And as he thinks about this, and he thinks about all the evil that he's seen in his life, he thinks about the murders, and, you know, all you got to do is read Kings and Chronicles if you really want to understand the Samuel, if you'll read the, David thinks about all the evil he's seen, and he just explodes in anger, but then there's a, there's a change of heart. God, search me. Start with me. Know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts and point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of life. In other words, it's real easy. Look at me. Look at me. It's real easy to feel good about yourself when you compare yourself with violent people, with lying people, with murderous people. It's real easy to feel good about who you are, but God saves us from that kind of spiritual snobbery. 
for there, but for the grace of God, would go you and I. And so David prays a very humble and a very searching prayer. And if you look at that last part, lead me along the path of everlasting life, Jesus described that as abundant life, eternal life. And isn't it interesting? Jesus never taught us to pray this way. What did Jesus teach us? Love our enemies. Forgive those who misuse us and hurt us. When I read this, I don't see this as one of those imprecatory prayers. I see this the way I am sometime. I'll see something and it makes me angry. And then later the Holy Spirit convicts my heart and says, in the very area that you would condemn somebody else, that's the area that you would be guilty of too or that maybe you've been guilty of. And so we seek God for grace and rather than feel good about ourselves and become spiritual snobs or holier than thou, we in turn say, God, search me, know me. doesn't mean that we don't deal with evil the way it should be dealt with. But we remember our warfare is not against flesh and blood. We're called to reach and love people. Amen? Amen? Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you so much for this psalm. Thank you for the comfort, the hope, the encouragement, and above all, the wisdom that it brings. Lord, there's not a philosopher that could improve upon this chapter when it comes to courageous living, when it comes to joyful living. Father, there's not a leadership consultant that could show somebody how to be a more effective leader than what you have shown us in Psalms 139. And Lord, there's not a pastor or a teacher, God, that could teach us more than what you taught us in this simple chapter of just 20-something verses. I pray now, make it real in our hearts, for it's in Christ's name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you so much. Thanks for joining us. And by the way, next Wednesday night, we will not be having service since it's Labor Day weekend. Um, we've got a lot of folks out of town, so enjoy your Labor Day weekend. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.